Slow Burn Media and Bill Huffman present Who Killed, a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. Hello and welcome to episode 74 of Who Killed? I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media production. On this week's episode, I will be concluding my conversation with the one and only Sarah Turney about her sister's disappearance and the person that she thinks is involved in that particular crime. There has been some news in her case. I will hopefully be able to provide some bonus material in the future. And again, this is one of those tragic cases that if it wasn't for Sarah's determined and motivated presence amongst social media and her podcast, I don't believe that the police would have followed through on some of the promises that they had made. And if you've listened to the first three episodes of my conversation with Sarah, you'll realize that there were a lot of false promises or false hopes given to her. And again, this is one of those cases where you really don't know what to believe because... You have the police telling you one thing, your dad telling you another, and for a long time you believed in your dad. And again, she has given you the reasons that she has changed her stance, and this hopefully will provide some insight into why she believes her father is the person that is responsible for Alyssa's disappearance. But before we get going with our conversation with Sarah... I wanted to play you a clip from the YouTube video that Sarah had posted of her dad videotaping Alyssa while she worked her first job at, I believe, Jack in the Box. And it's just a little insight into an odd relationship, let's just say that. And again, this is Sarah's sister Alyssa talking with Michael, her father. And following the clip, I will be playing my fourth part of my conversation with Sarah Turney about Alyssa's disappearance. And again, join me for another very interesting conversation with Sarah Turney. You got me in trouble, Dad. How'd I do that? Because that freaking asshole, Mike, he come, he looks and he goes, that's illegal. You can, He can't do that. And I was like, that's my dad. Still, there's signs posted on the office. I was like... Like my dad's gonna do anything. I was like, it's my first job. My dad's video cameraing me. He's like, so that's illegal. Tell him not to do that. I was like, he's a prick. Hate that. Which one's Mike? The one I'm talking to you? No, the one. I don't know. The one that drives that nice ass Mustang. Let me drive. Which one's Mike? Yeah, I mean, it's an insane journey, and people always tell me like how sad it is, and I feel so bad, but. I have to hope that, you know, evoking some type of emotion will help just, you know, gather that pressure that we need. You're doing the work that basically nobody else is willing to do because they don't get paid to do it, but you have a vested interest in it. Therefore, yeah. you, you are involved now. And I think that the funny thing about life is that we may think we have a plan or we may think things are going to go one way or the other. and you start a podcast and you think you're going to be doing one case. And then the next thing you know, you are 55 episodes in and you've covered 8 billion different cases. And now you're talking <laughs> to 
different podcasters about the cases that they cover. And yeah, I would say that it's a life changer. Uh, I would say that you've found your niche. Uh, I, I feel like I'm a child missing child's advocate at this point because of the amount of stories and just missing people in general or unsolved murders in general. I, I feel like I'm not trying to tell stories that are just stories. I'm trying to get some resolve. And that's kind of like, I, I think I've seen that across the board, which is good, which is good because I think for a moment there it went down the exploitation route. And now I think it's sort of re even crime con itself is acknowledged it's more of an advocate now than it was maybe the first year. And this is not to say because I wasn't there for the first year, but to say that it was just let's put a bunch of podcasts together and let's see what happens and get some speakers. Now it's whoa, this thing's fucking huge. Let's get real important people here with cases that aren't solved, we could do presentations on them. And not only that, we may be able to get results. Oh, and yeah. That, that's what's amazing. I think even CrimeCon itself is different than what they thought they were going to be today. Oh, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, and if you look at it, like I'm in marketing and like conscious consumerism is not a trend anymore. Like it's something that the whole world is kind of pivoting towards. You see that everywhere from plastic bags to people becoming vegan, like in um, just the media they consume. I think people are more apt to question where things are coming from or what the intentions are behind people. And I think people are starting to look at that with their podcasts. You know, there's like, why am I listening to another podcast on Chris Watts? We already know what's going on. I, I think that, again, it's just kind of bleeding over to everything and, and people want to know that they're making a difference as opposed to just consuming what used to be like a lifestyle fam like <laughs> style type of drama. You know a, what I mean? A lifetime movie drama. <laughs> yes. No offense. I hear that they're becoming extremely progressive. They, but they no. have, they, have, they uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I grew up with the, uh, the quote unquote lifetime movies. I, I, they're lifetime movies from the day until I die. <laughs> I don't oh, I love it. Like pregnant at 16 or whatever was like my favorite movie with uh, Kirsten Dunst. Like <laughs> I died for that movie every time it came on. Like, I grew up with that TV with sitcoms and stuff, right? But it's just shifted. Like people don't want to see sitcoms anymore. They want to see real life. Yeah. I think that it's, that's a really interesting perspective on the entertain, you know, cause I've, I've written, <clears throat> this isn't like I, I didn't sell anything, but like I've written screenplays, I've written uh, spec scripts and for law and order and for God, when entourage was on shit. Oh. Um, but, uh, but you know, like, yeah, I think there is definitely a sense of, but even when I wrote those scripts, it was like, I was imagining real life. I wasn't thinking of like some imaginary world. Like I'm personally can't stand and I know that there are many people that are going to be like, oh, yeah. I, 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 I don't get it. I don't get Star Wars. I don't get it. I don't, I don't Ooh. get, I don't get Star Trek. <laughs> I don't get, I don't get the fantasy stuff. It's just, yeah. 
I, I get that. I don't enjoy sci-fi. Um, come for me. Uh, I enjoy like dystopian societies because I'm like, ooh, that could happen. Oh Hunger no, games, no, I like games, World I War see Z. That. I like World War Z. <laughs> I like um, I'm Legend. You know, like I like the idea yeah. of like you know, like having to make it in the world after the world's not there anymore. But it's hard. It was hard for me as a kid to like. I don't. God, I just don't want to date myself here. But like, <laughs> people would be like, you've never seen the Neverending Story or the Princess Bride, and I'd be like, I never wanted to. <laughs> It's not like I didn't have the opportunity to. <laughs> right. So all they have to do is put the the end the world ending before any type of sci-fi element and then we're both in is what yeah. I'm hearing. Yeah. Like <laughs> oh my god, the world's end or no. Uh what's the one with Rogan and James Franco? It's so oh, fucking funny. That is such a funny movie. I forget what it, oh this my is god. the end. Maybe? This is the end. Yes. Oh my god. That the the one liners in that movie, uh, I mean James Franco's art. <laughs> yeah, it's such a good movie. But I mean, yeah, I I think that people are really moving towards more lifelike things. Well, and even like I was just trying to say that there needs to be a balance. Like you could have you you can have a, a balance though. Like that's just what I was getting at. Oh yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean. I just, there's so many things happening that excite me so much about the true crime community. I mean, look at the Kardashians. Like, and I posted about this on Twitter the other day, like, like them or hate them. There are two Kardashians that are coming out with true crime shows. This is huge for the genre. Like, they so, don't have to do that with their time. They could they could sit back and get $250,000 for an Instagram post and live their lives just fine. They don't have to crusade these efforts for true crime. So it was really interesting. I uh, I forget if it was the True Crime Garage or Gen Y or even Stuff You Should Know. Somebody mentioned Kim Kardashian. Like, oh, I wish Kim Kardashian would just, I mean, she could she could use her platform for such a better cause. And this was like a, just just a couple of years ago. And like, it seemed like, like, a, you know, right after that, it was like all of a sudden she was like all about, you know, ending mass incarceration and getting on board with getting these people freed and, and, I, hey, all the power to you. This is how, if it needs to get done, that's great. Like, I, I'm not going to knock it. I'm not going to knock it because yeah. you're doing a good service. And, you know, again, like you said, you can feel the way you want, feel whatever way you want about them, but they are doing something that is, they are taking what they have accomplished and they're using their platform for something good. And that's, that's great. Yeah. I mean, like it or not, media is power. Like, she overturned at least two cases that I can think of, if not more, when she was doing this show or whatever. But, like, it's everything. Look at um, Adnan Syed. Look at Making a Murderer. Like, both of these cases were changed forever and, and changed in court because of media pressure. Like, I wish that there was a different way to go about it, but... Like, this is the name of the game sometimes with these hard, hard cases. And this is like the wave of, of what I think the future of justice is going to look like, unfortunately. Just there's so much wrong with the system that trying to change it from the inside and reforming all these laws is just, it seems like the craziest undertaking. It's almost easier to just have the entire world scream about it and then get it back in court. Yeah. And I don't know if it was you that I mentioned this with, but I know that I've talked about it with somebody about how, you know, John Walsh had talked about the best way to keep his, I think it was you, when we talked about the best way to keep a case in the spotlight is for you to be their biggest cheerleader. And this was like 1980, 
788, you know, so he still was coming off of Adam. He didn't have any resolution. It was, they had, his, they found his body, but they didn't have, and I still don't know if I would believe the whole conviction of that. But um, if you ever want to read an interesting book or listen and listen to one, bringing Adam home is really interesting. It's, oh, check uh, it out. Yeah, it's all about the uh, Otis Tool connection to Adam Walsh. It's weird. Um, tough to tough to totally buy, but um, like I don't think Walsh even accepted it until like 2004 or something like that. But oh, wow. you know, in '88, he's telling everybody. I mean, because I was a big. Uh, I loved In the Dark. That was a great podcast. Uh, and the first season was all about uh, Jacob Wetterling. And he was abducted five days before Amy was. So Amy Mahalovic. And so, and he was 11 and it was like, wow, this is exactly like the type of thing that I, I would have been doing in my life. But he told the family that the only way to keep this case out there is for you to be out there. So what you're doing is everything that you can do. And you're the number one cheerleader i mean that's hey i'm i'm trying yeah i mean like i said i've tried to go all the traditional routes so this is the only thing i have left but in 1988 even before we even had this we don't we didn't even have what we have now you now have a you have so much more power in your own voice than you've ever had in your life just because of the technology and advancements in the last 20 years. I mean, it really is that big of a difference. And oh, it the is. fact that you and I can talk on the phone, well, we're not on the phone, but we can talk from studio to studio and it sounds like we're in the same studio. It's fucking crazy. I mean, like that technology mm-hmm. didn't even exist five years. Like, I mean, maybe it did five years, but <laughs> nonetheless it's still crazy to think that we are able to do that i can talk like i've got stuff lined up with podcasters in australia like and it's going to sound exactly the same and it's crazy yeah no it's revolutionary i mean like it it does change everything um one example i love is that love and hate of course but uh the police weren't writing me back and i had written about eight follow-up emails asking for a meeting about a particular subject, right? I mean, it had been weeks and weeks. Like, I ping them maybe once a week, like, hey, just wanted to check in. Um, Any chance we can get that meeting? Like, super professional. And they weren't writing back. And so I post on Twitter, like, all eight emails. And I'm like, like, I don't know. I forget what I write. Something about I don't know what to do, like, and complaining about not getting a meeting. And literally two hours later, I get an email saying, okay, yeah, we'll meet with you. Like, this is the power of technology. And I said that in one of my meetings. I'm like, why does it take me posting eight emails on Twitter to get a meeting with you guys? Like, I don't want to be this way. And it, yeah, it's just insane. But technology changes everything and it holds people accountable and, you know, provides for a better storytelling experience. And absolutely, it's revolutionary. Squeaky wheel gets grease. (laughs) I try to be so squeaky. Oh, like I told you, that was my dad's number one phrase. And they refer to me as, he's like, you're the squeaky wheel. <laughs> like, Well, I mean, I spent years in their office crying and not going this route. It wasn't until they told me to get media that I did. And it wasn't until they started lying to my face that I started getting upset. Like, <clears throat> Now, were they trying to tell you at that time that your dad was involved? So this, what happened was um, when he was in prison, so they sat me down in 2008 and explained to me for 40 minutes about how it could only be my dad. 
And then I um, don't believe them, don't believe them, don't believe them. 2020 happens about a year later after a huge combination of factors. I start to believe that it's my father. And I go to them and say, I, I believe it's him. How can I help you? And so they start asking me to ask certain questions and they start asking me about certain things. And um, they say, okay, he's going to be released, you know, in I think it was March of 2017. Um, but we're not going to arrest him until he is released. So, so that way he can't combine sentences. He'll serve a longer term if we wait. And I'm like, okay, great, cool. Because um, I don't know and I trust them. You know, we've been working together for like 10 years or whatever. And um, a few days before my father was due to be released from prison, um, the detectives were reassigned, to which I still at that uh. time was like, yeah, don't you love that for this story? Um, at that time, though, I was like, okay, well, you know, they plan on prosecuting the investigations over, like, I, I get it. Like, they're done now. It's over. They're going to get him. Um, but then they don't. So when we go into this meeting, I understand that they have not prosecuted, but I was still under the impression that they would prosecute. And that's when they sat me down and said, um, we're not going to prosecute without a body and we're not going to search for that body and you can't raise funds for that body. And we're going to give you this huge silent witness campaign that we will later deny. I So I know some of the technicalities behind it. Um, the two detectives did a mock presentation of the case for their supervisors in which their supervisors said, no, we don't want to do this. And that's about all I know. <laughs> that's it. Um, they did later lie to me. I have a recording of what happened was like a few years later, I got into a meeting with brand new people. Um, so nobody that knew the case, I didn't know these people. And they were like, listen, Sarah, if we present this for prosecution and they say, no, that's it. We don't have another chance, um, which is absolutely not the way it works. If they present it and they say, no, they actually give you notes to go back and revise and to represent. So I don't know why they're lying to me and I don't really know why they changed their minds. But I lean towards that they don't want this to come out in court because there are some missteps that they are legally liable for. Well, it's like they're like telling you it's double jeopardy. Like, oh, if we go and we try to do this and we can't ever bring cases or bring charges against them again. Well, if anybody's who if any prosecutor knows what they're doing, they're going to bring charges against them that if they can't get those charges to stick, they'll have other charges that they'll eventually be able to use. I'm just trying to get to the point of pressing charges. Like at that point, it's up to the judge and it's up to the jury. And although, yes, I wish for a certain outcome, I would feel a lot better if we just tried, you know? And that's what I said. Like, he's going to be 72 next month. Like, what are we waiting for? Like, we're really so afraid of double jeopardy. But if you don't even try once, we can't even get to that point. Yeah, your parents, like, yeah, we're, your parents were like the same age as mine. Uh, yeah, 72. Um, definitely plenty of time to uh, still pay. For, for his sins, because... Uh... I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one the one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at killerpodcast.com.
man. I just yeah. But they're not I, actively looking for anything. And that's what I said. I said, you're just sitting here waiting for something to fall in your lap. And that is the worst feeling. And they're like, no, that's not what we said. We said that we're open to leads. And I said, yeah, so you're waiting for something to fall in your lap because you're not looking for a body and you're not going to interview my father. So what the hell are we doing? Yeah. I mean, they basically just told you flat out that, okay, go to the media. And if the media makes enough of a stink about it, we will investigate. Yeah. No. And I, um, that, yeah. So how I was the, talking- okay. So <laughs> how the hell hasn't that happened yet? Cause I'm pretty sure you're doing a damn good job of getting yourself out there. Yeah. No, I, I, that's a great question. I don't know. Um, and like I said, they, they go back and forth. So they're like, get media. And then a few years later, one of the sergeants says, hey, you're getting too much media. And then about a month after that, his commander says, you know, we're just so grateful for all the media coverage you're getting for the case. It's like whiplash. You know what I mean? Like you and that's why I don't trust them. Yeah, it starts to make makes you uh, start to question which ones are sort of on your dad's side, and which ones aren't. Yeah, well, and to or further which that, ones like justice, it's insane. Like they're they like I've had to stop them from releasing information that I think could hurt the case. They have never once said don't release X, Y, and Z because it could hurt the case. But I got a call from a news station who wanted to run with something. And I was like, hey, you cannot run with that. It could really hurt this. We Like, my dad can't know about that. And if you run this, he'll know. And, like, I had to fight and kick and scream for it. So, like, they terrify me in all aspects. Like, I fully believe that they want this to implode. Like, I'm the one over here trying to not release information. I'm redacting names from documents that are public record. Like, I'm more cautious than they are. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Damn fucking reality of life. Uh, It sucks. Um, It it really does because they want to tell you what you want to hear. And uh, they want to be doing the right thing, but that doesn't mean they are always doing the right thing. And I think in your dad's case, I think it's one of those, have you, you know, not like, what have you done for me lately, but is this going to do us any good to to, to investigate this? And I mean, I, it's not about investigating at this point. It's about following through on what they said they were going to do years ago. We had enough evidence then, enough for you to tell me that he's going to be prosecuted when he's released from jail or prison. And then you reassign the two detectives that were on the case for 10 years and tell me that the entire cold case unit is being dissolved, which was an absolute lie. Like, what are they hiding? Yeah, something. That's that's all I can say. That's all I can say. You know, I I don't know. But it's all shady and it's not the way a police, you know, uh, department should operate. And yeah, it's it's like whiplash. Like I said, they just keep lying, and I will present it all. Like, what's the name audio- of the police department that that's handling this? The Phoenix Police Department. They're horrendous. If you, they're in the national news all the time for just being yeah, absolutely are. horrendous. Oh, uh, so are the Cleveland Police. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, terrible. And I just like it. Like I said, I think it's really hard to have the expectation that I'm going to go reform the justice system. But what I can do is be a cautionary tale to these decision makers in law enforcement to say, oh, shit, this person may not actually go away. We may not actually scare them as much as we think we do. And we're going to be held accountable for our actions. Hold their feet to the fire. You're a real journalist is what you've turned out to be. Oh, goodness gracious. Didn't realize you're going to be, see, we roundabout. Connect the dots all the way from the beginning of the conversation. Ugh. Guess I, what you are? You are 
a journalist because you're doing exactly what journalism was meant to do and that is to hold people's feet to the fire and that was what it was created for so and i'm not going to say that as a negative because i work in media so yeah i'm I'm so so torn about journalists like to be honest before my dad was arrested i thought i was going to be a journalist i was like editor of my school paper i was an english major i was taking journalism classes and then they came and knocked on my door at all hours of the night and just Mm. like harassed me and i was like i could never do this to someone i could never capitalize off the worst day of their life you know, is what I felt in my mind. But I think what people who are like spearheading a mission like this, particularly in my manner with like no regard for maybe some of the legal aspects of it. And what I'm doing is just crusading for truth. And I feel like it's a very idyllic view of journalism. And I wish journalism was actually like that. But from my experience working with traditional journalists is they're very afraid to run aspects of the story, including how much evidence points to my father and including all the everything that's happened with the police. Talking about locally? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and, tr- and larger traditional media as well. Like when it comes to some TV media productions, I should say. Yeah, like the independent ones, the ones that are not, the ones that are syndicated. This is what I would say about that. Um, Journalists are a little too apprehensive to take on things that aren't the norm anymore. And I do believe that at the end of the day, that's going to be the thing that kills the business. Yeah. Because the people that watch that are dying. I mean, we're talking about a demographic that's 55 and over. I mean, is that who advertisers are really going for? Watch the advertisements on a news channel. What are they? They're for geriatrics and they're for depends and for you name it. For old people, it is what it is because that's who fucking watches the news. And I know that. Just understand that it's not. There's got There's got to be a point. There's got to be a tipping point where media stops reading the internet. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's and they that- start doing their fucking job again, which is called investigating and doing journalistic work, not following up on stuff from the internet. It's just so ass backwards. It's unbelievable. It's like, okay, sure, you're going to take it from the internet. Well, guess who's going to be in charge after you continue down this path? Yeah. I mean, there's, I, I just don't think it's like those true hardcore investigative journalists that you think of anymore. Like, like the fictional character, what Lana Winters from American Horror Story, like I'm deep down here in the tunnels of this mental hospital, getting the real scoop on what's going on down here. And they're like kicking her out and stuff. Like how about the it, real people, Carl uh, Bernstein, uh, Robert Woodward. I mean, the, see, I just have less of a frame of reference, so I'm sorry. I, all the, all the, <laughs> you mentioned Watergate. Yeah, fair enough. All the, all the presidents men uh they're the ones that wrote the book so like that's what i went to school for thinking journalism was and fuck was i wrong (laughs) that's what's so disappointing like i tend to not work with journalists anymore i've had some really terrible experiences with traditional journalists and i don't know if it's what they're being taught but yeah They're just aggressive about the wrong issues. They don't focus on things that evoke change. They focus too much on how sad I am about it. It's just, it's not productive for the story. 
Oh, I mean, I've watched the way that they treat Mr. Mahalovic around here, and like I've gained a friendship with him, and and the way that they treat him when they go to his house for like an interview, and they for, like force him to look at pictures and shit, and I'm like, what mm-hmm. the fuck are you guys doing? This is the dumbest shit I've ever seen in my life. Like, do you not understand that podcasters fucking with sponsorship opportunities, of, uh, like such as host red ads, like, topical discussions, why would you interview bring segments, this stuff easy up? as possible? You can ask. I've been working with them for a while now, and they are by far the easiest the way to monetize your podcast. They have the taken audience? what had been a no, time-consuming part not. of the podcasting and process you and have made it to, easy for me to focus um, on what to, we as like, creators do best. Every aspect if you're looking for a way to get paid for the hard life, work that you put into no, your podcast, it's then look no further than Podcorn. Your you set the rate you believe to be that. fair and deal with the brands directly. There literally is no middleman. And at Podcorn, you'll never give up any rights to your podcast. Their mission is to make sure creators like me are compensated in an appropriate manner. Just you bullshit. can check them out on like, their website, podcorn.com. The they have packages for podcasts of all crap. sizes. And again, I can't thank them enough for making my life easier. I've other. provided a link in the show notes as well, so yeah. you can over. find out well, and exactly no, what like, Podcorn personal can do for you. connection there. Like you and I can sit here and talk about it and joke about it and be real about it. But when you're given very like posed questions you tend to give very posed answers, if that makes sense. Like it's, there's a formality to it that I think loses a lot of heart of specifically true crime stories. Yeah, like when I see you at CrimeCon, I feel like I have a bond with you. Like, whereas I wouldn't if I was just talking to some fucking dumbass that, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying that like, I'm not some journalist trying to like dig in deep on to how you feel about this and that. Like, just tell me what's going on. Like, I don't, you, you dictate to me how I dictate the show. Like, I don't try to make you feel one way or the other, because I think that's the number one thing about media that is so fucking wrong is that they go in with a preset idea of how they want it to go. And you watch it on John Oliver and Daily Show and whatever when they do super cuts of like newscasters prompting people to answer the questions that they want them to answer the way they want them to answer it. And it is absolutely mind numbing because it's like this is so anti-journalism. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've seen certain aspects of a list this case presented very one-sided and it's just so disappointing because it's so multifaceted and I'm like hey like you didn't include this whole other part I don't do this to everyone it was a very special relationship um and I was like you didn't include this one part and it's like they just don't care they're like well that doesn't get people to care about it and I'm like but it's the truth and that's the thing that sucks about stories like your sisters is that the way that they've fucked the news is that the longest news segment is like 240. Yeah. Do you come on? Give me a fucking break. You think you can tell me your sister's story in two minutes and 40 seconds? No, I can't do it in an hour. Obviously. No shit. We're going on four. <laughs> this and is why like... <laughs> no, every interview I've done has been like five or six hours, which is why you will never hear a full interview on my podcast because they're just ridiculously long. Right. Because, um, yeah, because there's so much to it. Yeah, and I just don't understand who who the fuck is making the decisions at the places that these news stations exist that think that people want to watch about old people shit. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> like, I seriously don't. Like, your demographic that you're adver- – like, your number one advertisers want to aim for 19 to 35. Neither of – and any story have you ever done, ever, has it ever conveyed to that age demographic? What is your goal? Yeah. 
they're going to have to change or the world's going to forget all about them. Oh, yeah. They're going the way of the newspaper, and that's fine. I mean, if they continue just reading the 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 web i mean that's fine i mean i don't exactly no i worked for usa today i thought i was made you know what i mean you think uh-huh. oh I, I work for gannett i work for usa today this is amazing and <laughs> i was a part of i was a part of like all their massive layoffs like it's 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 dying i worked for cbs i got laid off and yeah it was awesome yeah it's uh yeah, we've got a couple things in common when it comes to, I mean, <laughs> we got dead cancer parents and we've got, uh, you know, layoffs, awesome stuff, really. All the trauma bonds. I really trauma, yeah, we're bonded, like we're, <laughs> we're, we're set for life. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> All the negative shit. All right, well, let's just wrap it up. Um, I'll probably end up having to call you again to finish this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> That'll work. Hey, it's like become like a, a thing for us now. I love it. Yeah, yeah I like it. And uh, always have something in the hopper. You know what I mean? Keep something in the keep something in the back burner that's going and yeah, as the next podcast or whatever. And if yeah. you get, start to get burnt out from doing this and gives you some alternative or if you want to do a fucking joint show and we just BS for an hour and <laughs> call, call that a show and, and there are many guy girl shows so um, oh yeah uh, you know i feel like we have a good rapport so whatever yeah no we definitely do yeah i'm just trying to navigate it all you know it's just yeah, you and me come, both you and me both <laughs> it's all day every day man but i mean yeah that's i mean that's what we signed up for though i'm not trying to like complain i just no, want to i'm trying no. i'm trying to master it man i want to win this game you and me both i was Hey, I was a national class runner, so I was, I trust me, I went to college on scholarship. I, I expect to be the best at, at things. And, you know, when I'm not at a certain level, I'm, I'm frustrated. So I do what I can to, to improve. And yeah, I, I, I'm in it to win it like you. I, hell no, there's no reason I can't be just as good as the next guy. Exactly. Well, good. Then we can help each other. I love this. Well, I think it's a it's a beautiful start to a friendship. So I think we should definitely uh, talk again soon. We could talk again in two weeks, but we'll play it by <laughs> we'll we'll play it by ear. I mean, again, we don't have to record it. We can catch up, and if you really want to think about possibly doing another show on the side, just to keep you like loose and not uh, always thinking about your sister, and because um, that's got to be tough. That's got to be tough, and uh, it doesn't have to be true crime. You know, it could be whatever the fuck you want it to be oh that's true yeah no it's definitely something to think about around true crime but it doesn't have to be like about a certain case or anything Just, yeah no i love that i don't know on that note i will probably be putting out the first part of our conversation uh a week from monday okay cool because it was so good uh i would have had you on this monday but i did Long Island serial killer because there was an update last week and I had already done that with Maggie. So no uh, worries. I love Maggie. Yeah, she's awesome. And uh, if you listen to the uh, the episode, she has some fucking crazy ass connections to the case. It's absolutely nuts. Ooh, yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. Well, the first part's out. So check it out. <laughs> All right. Will do. All right. Well, thank you for your time. I said I wasn't going to keep you for two hours, kept you for two hours and five minutes. So, uh, you know, that's what happens in this world. So I apologize. (laughs) All right. Well, I am going to bundle up and I'm going to go out for a little bit and I will check you later. All right. Have fun. Thanks. Always always fun talking. Take care. Hey, you too. Many thanks to Sarah Turney for taking a lot of time out of her busy schedule to join me for our in-depth conversations about the disappearance of her sister Alyssa and again 
This is part four of our conversation. There has been some news in her case. They have erected a billboard with her missing poster, so that is now on the interstate. You can Google that. I know that uh, Sarah had put up a video of that on Instagram, I believe. So that is really good news. So again, thanks so much to Sarah for being such a strong person and being able to discuss so openly about her sister and who she thinks is responsible. And again, thank you guys for tuning in. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be able to produce new shows each week. I will say for the second year in a row, I will be representing Who Killed and Who Killed in the Holovic and the Passion Case on Podcast Row at CrimeCon 2020 in Orlando. Now, I know that there is a lot going on with this current pandemic, so I will just say that the new dates were or are scheduled for October 30th through November 1st. And if you do want to buy a ticket, you can use my promo code Amy2020. Now, if you do enjoy this podcast and my passion case, you can help support independent journalism and my shows by clicking on the donate button on the left-hand side of slowburnmedia.com. That is slow minus the W. And you can also contribute to the show via PayPal or via the Venmo app with my username at Bill. Huffman-3. I will provide a link in the show notes as well. And again, every contribution does help keep these podcasts going. And again, you can help support the show non-monetarily by just leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Those five stars help keep these cases that I cover in the spotlight. So anyone with information regarding Alyssa's disappearance is asked to call or contact the Phoenix Police Department at 1-602-262-6141 or the National Center for Missing or Exploited Children at 1-800-THE-LOST. Sarah would also like people to use the hashtag JusticeForAlyssa when discussing her sister's story on Instagram and Twitter and other social media platforms. So if you have any information about cases that I've covered in the past that are unsolved, you can always contact the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI or via Crime Stoppers. And again, if you'd like to stay up to date on the cases that I've covered as well as the new shows and new episodes that I have in the pipeline, you can follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. It's probably the best way to know what's going on with the podcast as well as what's coming up. Now, Again, this is part four. I will possibly have an extra bonus episode uh, in the future. But again, thanks so much to Sarah for joining me. And let's just hope that she is one day able to get the answers that she deserves and justice will be served because it is definitely something that has been put on hold. So again, thank you guys so much for listening. And until next time, please be healthy. Stay safe.
Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.